Would you pray with me? Almighty God, in you are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Open our eyes that we may see the wonders of your word, and give us grace that we may clearly understand and freely choose the way of your wisdom. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our reading today is from Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So today, we're going to continue in this series on prayer. And this is no ordinary series. In fact, this series is called World-Changing, City-Transforming, Neighborhood-Restoring, and Life-Giving Prayer. And uh, something that I know about most of you is that you believe in prayer. You believe that there is a higher power and that by talking to that higher power that there's a mysterious exchange and that something can happen as a result of that. We believe in prayer. And the point of today's talk is this. So if you have a short attention span, just hear this, and you can, you can be the first one to lubies, all right? So you can lead. Prayer is our unconditional surrender. What we're doing when we pray is we are surrendering to God. We're saying, God, we are yours. Have you ever heard this phrase, unconditional surrender? Well, it was first used by Ulysses S. Grant during the Civil War. As you might remember, the American Civil War was fought between 1861 to 1865. There was a group of states in the South that wanted to secede. And what was at the center of this war was this issue of slavery. It was about that time that Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation, which was a a commitment to abolishing slavery, which was good. During the war, there was a battle. It was called the Battle of Fort Donelson. And Brigadier General Ulysses S. Grant of the Union Army received a request. You see, they had cornered part of the Confederate Army in the fort. And the request that came to him because they knew, the Confederate army knew that they were in trouble, the request was for a conditional surrender. 
We will surrender, but based on our terms. We're going to surrender if you give us this. We're going to give you part of what you want if we can keep part of what we want. Ulysses S. Grant of the Union Army said, no way. This is an unconditional surrender. There are no terms. There are no exceptions. There are no clauses. We are going to take you. Sure enough, he did. The first time that this phrase was used was by Ulysses S. Grant. In fact, his initials, U.S., were also the initials of the words unconditional surrender. I want you to get this idea of unconditional surrender in your mind as we think about prayer. There's another great story that comes from the Bible where we see this idea of unconditional surrender. And it comes out of the book of Jonah, chapter 1. And so I'm going to tell you the story, and then we're going to look at Jonah's prayer, which is clearly a prayer of unconditional surrender. So if you have your Bible, look there in Jonah chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 1 and, uh, and kind of go from there. So now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amate, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now who is Jonah? Jonah is a prophet living during the king of the reign of King Jeroboam, which is about 750 B.C., years before Christ. He was uh, uh, regarded as a, as a nationalist, so he really loved Israel, and uh, he was all about his people. He was very connected to his people. The city of Nineveh was in Assyria, and it was at a reputation for not being a very nice place. It was known for evil. It was a great city. The, the, the words great city were used three times in these four chapters to describe this place called Nineveh. It was a great city, not because of its goodness, because of its size and of its importance. But it was a broken city. It had a reputation, again, for idolatry and corruption. So God is going to command Jonah to go to Nineveh because it's a capital city. And also we know from the language that some sort of calamity has happened there. Something has gone on there that has not been good for the people, and God shows some compassion to those people, although they're rebellious and and idolaters and, and evil people, have a reputation for being an evil people. God has some compassion for them. He's going to send one of his prophets to declare a message to them about how they can be restored after this calamity. But Jonah didn't want to have anything to do with it. Look at verse 3. Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. Everybody say Tarshish. Feels good. It's kind of a funny word. Everybody, uh, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So Jonah went... He heard God, and he knew what God wanted him to do, and he moved, but he moved in the wrong direction. Tarshish was to the west, but Nineveh was to the east. He was supposed to go east when he went the opposite direction to the west. Do you know that feeling? Have you ever had God uh, give you direction in your life? Or maybe a friend gave you some godly counsel, and rather than heeding that or surrendering to what you knew you were supposed to do, you ran the opposite direction. Jonah 
chose a port where there were very few Israelites. So not only is he running away from God, but he's running away from the community that he had so proudly associated himself with. So he goes to this place. He's running from God. This ardent nationalist attempts to flee and uh, maybe in hopes that he could also get away from God is what God is doing. I mean, he's not saying really like, God, I don't want you to help Nineveh. I don't want to be a part of what you want to do in the world. What he's saying is like, or no, he, no, he's not saying, I don't want you to help Nineveh. And I don't want for whatever you want to happen at Nineveh to happen. I just don't want to have anything to do with it. I mean, that's the way we operate sometimes, right? We say, God, we want you to do something in the world. We want you to, to change our neighborhoods. We see problems that exist I'm just not interested really in being a part of it. I don't want to have to reorganize my life or surrender to you really because I care about it, but not so much that I'm actually going to let you speak to me so that I can be a part of it. So God commands Jonah to go and and Jonah hears God's command, but he flees from God's command. And in a way he refuses to surrender to God's plan in his life. He'd rather live in exile from God and from his people than see God bring favor to the Assyrians. What God wants, Jonah can't stand to be a part of. Look there in verse four. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Do you know the story? Jonah is in the boat. There is a great storm, and all the people that are on the boat, all of the mariners begin to panic, and they begin to say, what in the world is going on? And they go from one situation or one person to the next trying to figure out what's going on, all the while Jonah is inside the boat sleeping. Jonah wakes up, knows that the reason that there's a storm is because God is trying to get his attention, and he tells them, hey, the reason that you're in trouble is because of me. Throw me overboard. And the mariners say, oh, no, we don't want to have that blood on our hands of throwing you overboard. And so they try something else, but it doesn't work. So eventually, verse 15, look what happened. They picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from raging. Now, as a side note, this is not an encouragement for how you practice in your business. If somebody gives you trouble, don't throw them out the window, okay? Don't, don't just get rid of them. If your business is in trouble, although sometimes that might help getting rid of some people, but that's a whole other message, okay? So, so they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. So here's Jonah. He's in the water. These tempestuous waters, he's suffering the consequences of his own decision. He is on his way to Sheol. He is on his way to death. In fact, the very first readers of this story would have read it and assumed that the next thing was going to be his death. End of story. The lesson is, if you don't surrender to God unconditionally, then he will punish you. I mean, that would be the lesson that they would expect. But there's this thread throughout the Bible where God pursues us even when we sometimes refuse to surrender to him. God rescues us. Some of you are here right now knowing that. There was a period in your life where you flee God so fast and so hard, but for whatever reason, well, because of God's grace, he chose to pursue you. He chose to swallow you up, to put you in a situation where you would have one more chance. Look at verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. 
Now, this is a miracle. Sometimes people get lost in this story because they start trying to figure out what kind of fish it is. And you've seen the picture. It's typically a picture of a whale, but the Bible doesn't even say a whale. Well, the point of the story is not, well, this is the kind of whale that a person could live in. The point of the story is this. There is a miracle that has happened. And really, the object of attention in this story is not even Jonah or the whale. It's God and what God is doing to call people to obey and to respond to his purpose and his will in this world. So here he is in this fish. God has his attention. God has his mind and his heart. He knows that he might have one more chance. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. Let me stop here. Can you ever remember a time in your life, and maybe you're there now, where it was like you were the lowest of the low? You were alone. I just think it's important to pause at times and say that it's sometimes in those places, in the ditch, that we really understand prayer. We really understand this idea of unconditional surrender because we have no other choice. Sometimes we uh, lack in this Christian practice of prayer, or maybe it's not filled with it, a heart to surrender because we don't really really understand our real need for God. I mean, you need God, I need God. And we need to be in on what God wants to do in the world. I mean, that's the kind of thing that we want to live for. That's the kind of living that God has set out for you. But sometimes we find ourselves in the belly of a fish or, or in a ditch. Well, it's in this place that Jonah calls out to God. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. That's like the depths of the earth. And you heard my voice. Something that you must believe about prayer is that God hears your voice. You say, I don't know much about God. It's okay. He hears your voice. In prayer, what we're doing is we're we're letting on or we're giving ourselves to this idea of unconditional Surrender. We're saying to God, I need you. I need you. I want to come to you on your terms, not mine. I want you to set up the terms, and then I want to surrender to those. It's interesting for Jonah because it took a near-death experience for Jonah to surrender. I have never really gotten all that close to death. One time I smarted off to my mom when I was in the eighth grade That was probably the closest because although she is a small woman of stature, she is, I tremble at the thought, the remembering. Okay, so I I came close to death then, but I've never personally been been really close to death. Some of you have. Well, it took a near-death experience for Jonah to surrender. Look in verse 3 as he describes what it was like. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then look at verse 5. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains I went down to the land, whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up, brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Jonah is giving an unconditional surrender in prayer. Isn't that awesome? 
What a lesson on prayer. I talked about last week that sometimes when we're learning how to do things, we, we ought to watch people who do them well. And last week we looked at Jesus teaching the disciples to pray. Well, here we have someone that is in the belly of a fish, in the lowest of the low. And what he has done before God is he said, God, I know where I am. I am about to die. I am suffering. The waters are closing in over me, but yet you have brought me out. You are bringing me out of this place where I don't want to surrender so that I can surrender. Now, the question that presents itself as we think about the story is, what kinds of things does God want us to surrender in prayer? What kinds of things does God want us to surrender in prayer? Well, I think the first thing that we must surrender as we pray to God is our hearts, the throne of our hearts. You see, when a person understands that they are separated from, sin, from God because of sin and that God made a way through Jesus Christ who died on a cross to pay for their sin, what they're ultimately doing is saying, I surrender. I no longer believe that I can deal with my sin on my own. I surrender. I accept the terms of agreement for salvation. You know what the terms of agreement for salvation are? You know what it requires of you? Nothing. That's the beauty of the gospel, is that God created all things perfect, sin disrupted it, Jesus restoring is restoring it, not only in our world, but in our hearts. So when we pray to God, the first most important prayer is the prayer of surrendering to God without condition. It's not like, God, I will take Jesus and I will take my uh, older ideology and I'll put these things together and this is how I'm going to work things out in this world. No, when you come to Jesus, Jesus, when he called his very first disciples, they were fishing and he said to them in Matthew chapter four, come and follow me. I will make you fishers of men. So what he was saying to them is leave all that's familiar, leave all that gives you confidence and a sense of security and come and follow me and I will make you into something far greater than anything you could ever ask or imagine. So the prayer of surrender that starts it all is a prayer that says, God, I need you. I give my life to you. I don't even know what it means to surrender unconditionally to you, but I'm going to do it. And here we go prayer of surrender. Have you done that? Have you surrendered yourself to God? Or are you trying still to work things out for yourself? Are you trying to manage your sin yourself? Are you trying to to pull together a vision for your life on your own without God? Surrender. Another thing that God wants us to surrender after we have received Christ is uh, we're to surrender every single day. Do you know what I mean by that? When you get up in the morning saying, God, I'm yours. Surrender your daily struggles. This is one of the things that we talked about with the men at the retreat. And I just facilitated discussion between them. I said, what are the things that you struggle with? What are the things that keep you from really enjoying the kind of life that Jesus says 
that is available to you in John, 10, John chapter 10, verse 10, where he says, I've come to give life and give to the full. What are the things that you struggle with that keep you from that kind of life? And it's all the things that we all struggle with. I mean, we talked about pride and jealousy and apathy and, uh, and, and sexual sin, lust. And we talked about all these kinds of things. Well, you know what? Prayer is a way that we can surrender to God the things that we struggle with. What is it that you're struggling with? Maybe you're struggling for, uh, for, for a need in your life, a, a need of just some sort of provision. Maybe it's in your job. Maybe you're struggling to achieve some of the goals that you at work have set out. Surrender those to God. Give those to God, and he will give them to you if he wants to, if it's good for you. If it's a part of what he wants to do to use you to take the gospel to people that have not received it. We must be people who are regularly surrendering. We must also, uh, similarly, we, we must surrender unconditionally this ongoing temptation to rebel against God. It's in every one of us. No matter how much you know about the Bible or how long you've followed Christ or how serious you are about it, do you know that all of us struggle with temptation and we must in an ongoing faithful kind of a way surrender those things to God. I regularly have to surrender my pride to God and my strong sense of achievement which sometimes distracts me from really what God wants. I have to surrender those things to God and go, God, I don't want to be ambitious beyond what you have said in my heart to be. I have to surrender those things to God. Um, You have temptations. What are those things? And can you in prayer surrender those things unconditionally to God? Well, the thing about unconditional surrender is that we resist it. Do you know that? We resist unconditional surrender. All of us do. I mean, really what we want is we want conditional surrender. We want to say to God, God, I want to come to you on my terms. I want to to take salvation. I want to take money. I want to take a smoking hot wife. I want to take kids that are moral. But God, what I don't want to give to you is control of all my money. What I don't want to give to you is my time, all of my time. I'm going to give you some of my time, but not all of my time. What I don't want to give you is whatever it is. So sometimes when we come to God, we want to come to him conditionally. We want to say, God, I will surrender, but I'm only going to surrender part of me, the part of me that I think will benefit me when I die. But what we know is that in prayer, what we ought to do is go to God and go, God, I surrender it all. It's all yours. My life is yours. We ought to hold in our hands everything loosely. If you hold tightly to something, then when God removes it, if he determines to, it will hurt a whole lot worse. We resist unconditional surrender. Sometimes because we're, there are people in here that uh, you're a control freak. And so for you, the idea of surrendering means you have to give up control. That's hard for you. Raise your hand if you're a control freak. A little confession up in this place. All right, that's beautiful. I was kind of kidding, but good job. Yeah. Uh, we resist unconditional surrender. <laughs> uh, I'm not a control freak. I just like for people to do the way the things that, that I want them to be done. 
which is the right way. Uh, sometimes we resist um, unconditional surrender because we're, you're, you're a worry wart. Raise your hand if you're a warrior. Go ahead. It's okay. This is okay. You can raise your hand. You tend to worry. I talked last week about, you know, worry is there's some movement. It's like being in a rocking chair. There's movement, but you're not getting anywhere. Sometimes you struggle with worry. You find yourself consumed with um, thoughts of, of how things are going to sort themselves out. You're a worry wart. So sometimes if you're a real worrier, you, you tend to, to grab a hold of things and focus on things. And it's difficult to really just say to God, God, I surrender these things to you. I surrender my business to you. I surrender this relationship to you. I surrender my future to you. I surrender. I'm not going to worry about it, which is easier said than done, I know. Or others of you. You... Resist unconditional surrender because you are an egomaniac. You know who's on the throne of your life? You. Raise your hand if you're an egomaniac. Okay, that's very good, very good. A lot of brave souls here. What you tend to do is think, you know what? I can sort this out on my own. Why would I need to surrender to God when I've pretty much got things together? You believe that the, center, the, the best world is a world where at the center of it is you and your ideas. You're arrogant. Well, if that's you, then why in the world would you think that you need to surrender? We resist surrender. But let me tell you something. Two things here, and I'll be done. Two things that happen when you surrender unconditionally to God in prayer. First of all, you experience God's steadfast love. Look at verse 8. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. In other words, if you're, if you're surrendering yourself to an idol, you know what an idol is? Uh, anything that you worship or give attention to or focus on more than God. It distracts you from God. That can be an idol. All of us have them. What Jonah is saying in prayer is that anyone, he's acknowledging that anyone that gives themselves conditionally to God or is unwilling to surrender unconditionally to God, what they miss out on is the steadfast love of God. Now, this idea of steadfast love, it's huge in the Bible. In the Old Testament, there's this word called chesed. And what the word means is that God's love is steady and faithful. It's always dripping for you. It's always pursuing you. It's always thinking about you. It's always moving in your direction. It's really nothing like it as we think about how we relate to one another. Because our love for one another, even if it's very deep, is still flawed and imperfect and limited. But the steadfast love of God is firm and full, and always on. In fact, when Israel got in trouble, what they would regularly remind themselves of is the chesed love of God. The love of God that pursues and seeks after us. The love of God that we get to experience in the belly of a whale. You see, when you surrender unconditionally 
to God. What you get is the steadfast love of God. You get to experience the steadfast love of God and that will satisfy you far more than anything else that you surrender to. Do you believe that? I know it's hard to believe. Also, when you surrender unconditionally to God in prayer, you will experience the life you were created to live. I've worked in ministry for 20 years. I have been able to be a part of thousands, maybe even tens of thousands of people's lives. And here's something that I found to be true. Most people are living lives that they were not created to live. Living lives where they're really about accumulating things because they think that in the end that will satisfy them. But the unfortunate thing is they'll get older and even with more things will still put their head on their pillow at night dissatisfied. Some people are living the kind of lives where they've surrendered themselves, believing that a relationship on this earth with another person would just satisfy something within them. There's great needs in their heart to be met. And so what they've done is they've surrendered themselves to a spouse even or to, 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 to a friend or to the idea of some certain type of marriage. But there's no fulfillment really ultimately. You see, the kind of life that you were created to live is the kind of life where when God says, hey, I have a plan for you, and here it is, that you go towards it. Rather than going away from it, you go towards it, and you walk in it. And in the midst of that, what you get to experience is the chesed love of God. You get to experience the faithful, full, full full-on love of God. And what Jonah has done here for us is he's prayed this prayer, which helps us to think about how we can, in prayer, surrender unconditionally to God. So with that in mind, what I want to do is lead you in prayer. Would you bow your head? Is there an area of your life where you have not surrendered unconditionally? Is there an area of your life where when I said you have come to God on condition, you knew what area it was? What I want to invite you to do in the quietness of this moment, to pray to God, just like Jonah did, And surrender, not conditionally, but unconditionally. What is it that you worry about? See, that worry could keep you from hearing God call you to do something that he wants you to do so that you can live the kind of life that he wants you to live. What are you trying to control? It takes so much energy and so much time that you could just surrender that to God. Maybe even for some of you, you'd have the courage to say to God, God, 
center, at the center of my world is me. And I want to surrender that place to you. And the way you do that is, is you hear and believe that Jesus died on the cross so that your sin could be erased and so that rather than being your enemy, God would become your friend and you would enjoy being a child of God.